Good evening. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on, on Good Friday. If it is quite all right with you, I'd actually like to dive into our time. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's a hard copy or a, uh, a device, go ahead and turn to John chapter 19. Verses 28 through 30. We're only going to look at two verses tonight. And we're going to dive into quite a bit of scripture. Here we go. Beginning in verse 28. The Apostle John writes, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I thirst A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Join me in prayer. God, as we come before you tonight, Uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be uh, softened and ready to receive your word. As a result, I pray that you would move me and just cast me aside. And Holy Spirit, I pray that it would be you at work and the lives of my brothers, of my sisters, and friends. God, I pray that you would be glorified. And I pray that we would find the hope that is in Christ even in the midst of a day where it feels like all hope was lost. God, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Redemption is a word that is often thrown around and and used loosely in a variety of contexts, not just Christian circles. Movies and sporting events attempt to capture the essence of redemption through story and perseverance. For example... Several years ago, don't ask me when or, or what, what time it was, but there was a promotional video for UFC for the former champion, Ronda Rousey. The point of this video was to claim her shot at redemption. Up until then, she was undefeated, and then she lost, and so she made this, or they made a promo video for her next fight, and in the video, she says, perfect never gets a shot at redemption. Likewise, if you like TV or film, if you've ever seen the movie The Replacements, Keanu Reeves comes out in this movie along with Gene Hackman, and Gene Hackman is a football coach uh, who oversees a professional football team, and they, they go on strike for reasons unknown to me. They go on strike, and so they hire these replacement football players. 
And these replacement football players go on and win the championship. And at the end of the film, Gene Hackman goes on to say that these individuals, these men got what every athlete dreams of, a second chance. Redemption is often pursued or defined as opportunistic, something you have to fight for in order to earn it, or something that you may, for one reason or another, simply deserve. While these examples attempt to give us a look at what redemption means, I'm afraid that they are incomplete. When you look at world history, and I, and I would think, actually, I would agree with, with histor- the, the pages of history when we get a better understanding of what redemption actually means. An example there would be on August 25th, 1944, we saw the liberation of Paris, France by allied forces along with French military troops. Under uh, the Nazi regime and rule, several, several hundreds of thousands of French people were uh, enslaved in concentration camps, and we saw the, their liberation. Now, what I want you to notice from the liberation of, 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 uh, of, of France, what I want you to notice is that blood was spilt in order to afford the moment of liberation. In order to afford freedom, blood was spilled. You see, the word redemption means to be bought out of and is most commonly associated in the context of bondage and slavery. In the pages of history, the spilling of blood has always been a necessity for redemption to be accomplished. And this is certainly true of the death of Jesus on the cross. If you're unfamiliar with the history of the crucifixion, it is one of and was and is one of the most gruesome forms of execution and public humiliation. It was first invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. Crucifixion was used not only as one of the most painful ways to execute an individual, but it was also, as I mentioned, one of the most humiliating ways to execute them. Oftentimes, when we see pictures of the crucifixion, we see that Jesus is high up on this cross, and he is on this big mountain or cliff, and the people are just below him, but historically, that is untrue. The crucifix was not that far above ground so that the individuals who were crucified could actually make eye contact with those who were mocking them. In addition to being nailed to a cross before coming up with something called the mercy seat, those who were crucified, who were already in complete anguish and pain, as they were crucified, they would sink themselves into the cross so that they would eventually run out of air. And it was known as death by or death by asphyxiation, that they would suffocate to death. The Romans, in order to prolong their death, came up with something called the mercy seat. It's kind of ironic. 
And the mercy seat was set upon the cross so that the individual who was crucified could not sink into the cross. They could not suffocate. Therefore, their death was prolonged so that they would be mocked, humiliated, and flogged. And yet this is the way upon which our Savior was executed. But it didn't start there. It actually started where he was falsely arrested, he was falsely accused, he was handed over to the Roman guard, all of this under the guise of the evening so that they could at the time of the morning put out the PR fire when people would begin to ask questions as to why was this man sentenced to be executed by crucifixion. By the time the morning hours of Friday came, he was already walking and making his way to uh, what would be his death. But before making his way and being given his cross, he was beaten, he was flogged, his beard was plucked, a crown of thorns was placed on his head. When he finally made his way with his cross to the place where he would be executed, he was stripped and then nailed to a cross. The belief that redemption implies a second chance is misleading and it is an, excuse me, it is an incomplete gospel. Redemption is costly and it has implications. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, we must ask, what was finished? What was finished? Certainly, redemption was accomplished for sinners, but we must also seek to understand the entirety of his statement in order to fully embrace redemption. And in order to do that tonight, I want to walk you through five things that were ultimately accomplished on the cross through the death of Christ in light of redemption. The first one is prophecy and promise. The sufferings and death of Christ were not a surprise to God. In fact, they were predestined by him, a plan set forth from the beginning of time. It wasn't reactive, it was proactive on God's part. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 goes on to say, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, the coming of the Messiah was predicted as far back as Genesis and prophesied more than a thousand years before the birth of Christ by the prophets. Through his son, God himself promised redemption in the garden after the fall of man. He promised redemption. Number two, a sacrificial substitute. In the Old Testament, priests who were people chosen by God would sacrifice animals to atone for the sins of themselves and for the people of God. The sacrifice of the animal was purely symbolic. It was to teach that redemption requires blood, and it was meant to point the people of God to the person of God. 
You can see this in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 4. The writer says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. What he is saying is that God doesn't take pleasure in sacrifices. He wants to see the heart of an individual. It is not the sacrifice of the animal that saves you. It is faith in Christ alone. The truth is that sinners don't need a sacrifice. They need a substitute. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he is the perfect substitute and died once for sinners. No further sacrifice is needed. Number three, imputed righteousness. What else was accomplished on the cross? Imputed righteousness. Here's here's why redemption as a second chance is incomplete. I'll give you two reasons, actually. Number one, redemption as a second chance implies that Jesus only died for your sins without further implication for you. In other words, Jesus dying for your sins, period, means you've obtained your cosmic fire insurance. Number two, It implies and it also suggests that once you have received your second chance, you're now on your own. You're now on your own. But the work of Christ on the cross includes both redemption and implication. Theologians would call this double imputation. Double imputation teaches that Jesus not only took on our sin on the cross, but in exchange, he freely gives the sinner his righteousness. This is also known as the great exchange. You can see this in 2 Corinthians, begin in chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. The Apostle Paul writes, For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could say it this way, that on the cross Jesus paid our debt and in exchange gave us his credit. For those united in Christ, the Father sees Jesus in you because of his work on the cross on your behalf. Double imputation means that there is implication as a result of the death of Jesus, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Number four. Additionally, what was accomplished on the cross is the wrath of God. You see, outside of Christ, all of us exercise our free will in rebellion against God. By nature and by choice, we choose hell and reject God. And as a result, the wrath of God is over our heads. Unless we are united to Christ by faith alone. 
The death of Jesus isn't only him dying for sinners, but on behalf of sinners, he is both receiving the full wrath of God, the wrath that you and I deserve. He is receiving the full wrath of God so that we might be reconciled to God. Reconciled is just a fancy way of saying that we would have relationship with God. It is not enough to say that we have been saved by Christ if we do not know what we have been saved from. We can say it this way, that it is the grace of God that has saved us from the wrath of God. The Christian isn't better. The Christian is repentant. And finally, number five, redemption was accomplished on the cross. Outside of Christ, you and I are enslaved and are in bondage to our sin. You and I, outside of Jesus, we are actually slaves to our sin. Further, our hearts are spiritually dead. We may be physically alive, but our hearts are spiritually dead. However, Christ redeems the sinner in that by his blood, the sinner has been freed from bondage to sin and is free to serve Jesus. The currency used to buy sinners out of their enslavement to sin is the blood of Christ. Blood is necessary in order to accomplish redemption. The Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That's the currency the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption means that we have been freed from our sin, but not from obedience. I'll say that one more time. Redemption means that we have been saved or that we've been freed from our enslavement to sin, but not from obedience. The implication of Jesus on the cross isn't that you have cosmic fire insurance. It is that you have his righteousness, that the Christian walks around with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, that changes everything upon how the Christian ought to live and walk. Redemption is not a second chance. It's mercy. Redemption is not earned, it's received. Redemption is not deserved. It is undeserving favor from God toward sinners. We call that grace. Redemption is not convenient, it is costly. And redemption is offered to all who turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus, the risen Christ. 
It is finished does not mean God was finished, but the work by which we are reconciled to him is. If God was finished, he would still be in the tomb, but he isn't. For he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the word of God. And through his resurrection, he has defeated Satan, sin, and hell. He ascended back into heaven, sits on a throne at the right hand of the Father, ruling and railing, and is alive and well. And one day he will come again in glory to reclaim his bride, the church, and sin will be no more. The work of redemption was accomplished, but God himself was just getting started. Redemption is an invitation of mercy and grace through repentance. Not a second chance. I'll say that one last time, and then I'll close. Redemption is an invitation of mercy and grace through repentance, not a second chance. Let's pray. God, that word redemption is constantly thrown around in uh, a variety of spheres. I don't think, I know I don't uh, think about it in the way that you define it. That the sinner has been purchased by the blood of Jesus out of their slavery to their sin. God, there is much hope in that. Unlike these other examples whether it would be TV and film or even sporting events. And in these examples, Lord, redemption is, is incomplete. The fighter lost. The replacement athletes went back to their average everyday life. But throughout your, but throughout your narrative, you teach us that you purchase us out of our slavery to our sin so that we would never return. So that we would never return. God, that means that we belong to you. God, when we feel a lack of value, a lack of worth, God, I, I am reminded by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians that the one who knew no sin became sin. That means that Jesus became the one who took on our, our lack, the, the worthless one. When we don't feel value, Jesus says, I took that on. Redemption doesn't only free us from our bondage. Redemption gives us a new identity. Redemption teaches that we are defined by Jesus. And before you tell us what to do, you tell us who we are. God, I know some of my brothers and sisters and friends who are here need to hear that today that they have been bought by the blood of Christ, not only so that they would never return to their sin, but to be reminded of who they are. That the foundation 
of the Christian life begins with who Jesus says we are. And Jesus says that we are redeemed, that we have been purchased, that we have value in his sight. Some of us have not felt value or worth, but in Christ, we have value. In Christ, we have worth. In Christ, we have an identity. In Christ, we are fulfilled and complete and joyful. Holy Spirit, I pray that through this brief message of redemption that you would take what was said, that you would take it from ears and apply it to hearts. God, I pray that hearts would be broken. I pray that hearts would cry out. I pray for repentance, not, not just for me, but for, for, for us. I pray for repentance, the, the turning away from our sin and placing our trust in Jesus. Jesus is a living hope because he is seated at your right hand. God, through this day that seemed like all hope was lost, through this day where the sequence of events were just horrific, it was actually your plan for the redemption of sinners. It was your plan that would lead to the joy of the resurrection of Jesus. God, may that weigh heavily on our soul. And Holy Spirit, may you do a work in us so that we would embrace your will, and that is to be more like Jesus, that we would be conformed more and more into his image, that we would be sanctified, that we would ultimately worship you and give you all the glory. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.